think, 48 verses. So we have, we have quite a few verses to cover. Just kind of taking a step back and remembering what happened towards the end of chapter 9. Last week, we were talking about this man who was healed, a lame man who was able to walk. His name was Aeneas. And Peter had come, and, and he, through Jesus Christ, healed that man. And then we see Peter go, and they called for Peter to go and see Tabitha, who was a lady who had passed away, and she was raised from the dead. So we see these two incredible miracles. We see healing, and we see new life. And we talked about the fact that you know, God has worked in different times through different ages, and a lot of what he did physically during that period of time, he does for us now spiritually. He provides healing and new life for us in a spiritual sense in many ways. And sometimes he does that physically too, but more often he's doing that in a spiritual sense. And I want to read this quote. I think I might have read it last week. It's from Warren Wiersbe. He says, Some would call the healing of a body God's greatest miracle, while others would vote for the raising of the dead. However, I think the greatest miracle of all is the salvation of a lost sinner. Why? Because it costs the greatest price, and it produces the greatest results, and it brings the greatest glory to God. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that we are very, very concerned with the physical, which is understandable. But God is more concerned about the spiritual because it's what's eternal, it's what's lasting, and it's what goes deeper. And as we receive spiritual healing, as we receive spiritual new life, very often we're given what we need to make it through our externally difficult circumstances. But there are people all through life that don't have that internal healing, don't have that internal new life, and they are desperate when life kind of hits the bricks, so to speak, because they don't have that internal source of life. And so we see that God does this for us. He, he does this and continues to give us healing. And if you've maybe had a relationship healed or your marriage restored or new life breathed into a, a job that you hated or uh, an attitude towards someone, you can see and you can testify to this. Like God does still do that. He still does those things. And then that was in chapter 9, but I want to take a step back because this chapter, chapter 10, is what I would call a watershed passage. It's where things kind of take a major change in God's plan. It's something that he told about for, for thousands of years and spoke about, and then all of a sudden we see it happen and come to life in this passage, and it changes everything in, in a lot of different ways. And so the idea, and we'll read through this chapter here in a minute, but the idea that I want you to kind of be thinking about as we go, is God's amazing work of bringing salvation to an unlikely group. That's kind of what the passage is going to talk about. And we're going to talk about what does God do to bring salvation to these least likely candidates? Like, what does he do? And so for us, if you would, maybe just think, and maybe it's you, and you think, what would it take for God to bring salvation to me? I'm kind of on the edge. I'm kind of a seeker. I'm kind of interested. I'm not really sure about this whole thing. I'm kind of on the fringe. What would it take for God to convince you? 
and hopefully you'll get some answers here today. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm already convinced. But you know who's the least likely person? And I told you guys shamefully that I have a bad attitude towards some of my neighbors. God has changed that, even just by confessing it in front of you guys. I feel like I kind of got the old slap on the wrist. And so hopefully I'll get it together before I get uh, swat with a stick, but um, so to speak. But the idea that there are there is nobody outside of God's reach and the people that you think least likely to be spiritually born and made new that's the kind of people that God wants to save and transform he turned Saul from a persecutor into a preacher from a murderer into a minister no one would have ever thought it he was the guy out there trying to to torture others and so God does that for us and God does that for those that we think are the least likely so I'm gonna pray and then we'll dive into this passage and kind of talk through the passage as we go, and then we'll make some points towards the end. So if you would pray with me one more time. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that the way of salvation, the door of salvation, has been opened to us all. Anybody who here, Father, who's just kind of maybe standing at the outside of that door or not sure, I pray that this truth from your word would help draw them in. I pray that you would continue your work in their heart. And for the rest of us, God, that uh, are convinced and have walked through that door of salvation, I pray that you would give us a passion and a desire to see others come in and that we would have inviting hearts and that we wouldn't be a bunch of weird Christians that are awkward, but that we would just be people that are filled with the love of your son, Jesus Christ. Show us how to do that in this and through this passage. I do thank you for each of the people you brought here, God. I know it's a rough, broken, messed up world out there. I pray that they would leave here refreshed, encouraged, filled up, and refueled today. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and read through this passage together. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So just kind of setting the stage, here's, here's the deal. Caesarea was this town, and, and it was a little ways away from Jerusalem, a couple days' journey. I think it's 30 miles. And it was the name Caesarea. You can kind of see there that it looks like the name Caesar. So it's a very Roman place. And, uh, and, and here you have a Roman soldier, and he was leader of this Italian regiment, was, was kind of a prestigious regiment of about 100 guys. So you have this guy, he's, he's kind of got some military clout. He's in this very Roman town, and, and the idea of that is, and I'm kind of giving a spoiler alert, but we'll get it here in just a minute. If you're a Jew, those are the least likely people that you want to warmly embrace because the Romans were over the Jewish settlements. And so they, the Jews had to answer to the Romans and the Jews viewed them as just a bunch of Gentile dogs that were uh, 
kind of power hungry and that really shouldn't be executing this power. So this is the man Cornelius. This is the guy. And when he observed him, he was afraid. So this angel came in and said to him, Cornelius. And when Cornelius observed the angel, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Lord, there could be uh, translated, Sir. Good, good soldier, I think, would say Sir there maybe, right? Uh, so he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. So I want to just kind of stop here for just a second. So this idea is that uh, he was giving alms. This man, Cornelius, had a heart for... What's going on there? Trusting everything's all right. Okay. This man had a heart for God. Cornelius was giving alms. He was helping the poor. He was praying. He was a God-seeking man. Regardless of how the Jews would have viewed him, he was a God-seeking man. He was giving money. He wasn't part of the Jewish group. He hadn't been a proselyte or he hadn't converted to Judaism. In fact, they probably would not let him do so as a Roman soldier. But he had a heart for God. And this angel says, hey, God's heard your prayers, and now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go send for Simon, and we know him as Peter, and he's hanging out with Simon, so these two Simons were living together. Simon the Tanner was this guy that was living down by uh, the beach there, and he was a guy who would tan hides and kind of like a leather, not necessarily a leather worker, but he would get the, uh, turn the hides into leather. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So he has these three guys, two servants and one of his uh, subordinates. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. So you have these Three guys sent out by Cornelius, sent to Joppa, and as they get next to the city, they get close to Joppa. Peter is going up on the roof to pray about the sixth hour. That's about noon. He became very hungry and wanted to eat. So Peter's got a little appetite here. <clears throat> While they made ready, as they're getting the food ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open. And an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. So Peter's there praying, hungry, stomach's growling. He's praying, and he has this vision of this sheet. I picture it like a big picnic blanket in, in my mind here because he says to eat the stuff. This big picnic blanket with all this food that comes down. Now, kind of a little background. The Jews, back in Leviticus, Leviticus, had been given some instructions of dietary laws. They were not supposed to eat certain things. And part of that was so that they could be an example that they were set apart, an example that they were different than all the other nations, that they would kind of stand out. God had chosen Israel, and I'm going to go even back a little further. 
So you have Israel, you have Peter, you have the Jews. And what God had told them is he said, Israel, I'm choosing you, or even Abraham, I'm choosing you. I want you to bless through you. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed. But then later he said, I do have some rules I want you guys to follow, and I will bless you if you will follow these rules. And some of those rules were dietary things. Even now, you know, Jewish people, they, you give them a ham sandwich, uh, you know, if they're orthodox, they're not going to eat your ham sandwich. They're not going to eat something that's not kosher. And so it's the same idea. And, and if you, maybe you're a vegan. Sorry, uh, if you're a vegan, but just kidding. Maybe you're a vegan. And you have these things like, I will not eat. And it's adamant in your mind. You go to a party, and all they have is meat stuff. Like, you're just not going to eat it. And someone tells you, eat it. And that's kind of what's going on here. It says, eat this stuff. And Peter's going, I haven't eaten this my whole life. I've avoided eating all this stuff. I was raised for generations we haven't eaten this stuff that's on this picnic. And so it says, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. So Peter says, no, sir, I'm not going to eat that. And the voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. In other words, what God has made clean, don't call it unclean. And Peter's thinking this is unclean food. This was done three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven again. Are you guys with me here on this story? Okay, so this happens three times. I'm guessing three times. One, because Peter was kind of contesting and going, no, nah, I'm just not comfortable with this. And he's, the same thing happens again. Or God just did it three times to go, I want this to be drilled in to your head and to your heart. If I say something's clean, it's clean. Don't say it's unclean if I've called it clean. It says it was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, what's this vision which he had meant? Now, wouldn't you be kind of wondering that too? Wouldn't you be, you're praying, you're hungry. All of a sudden you have a food vision. You're like, what does this mean? Eat whatever you want. Should I be going in to go find some uh, scraps of, uh, of food that I wasn't supposed to eat? What does this mean? He's kind of struggling through He's, he's pondering, what are these things? Uh, what does this mean? Well, at that very time while he's pondering it, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, the three guys, the two servants and the soldier, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. So basically they showed up. They knew where to show up. Hey, does Simon live here? Does Peter live here? And while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So he has the food uh, vision. And then he's like, what in the world is this food vision? The guys come down to the gate. And then at that time, God says, there's some guys down at the gate for you. Don't, don't push them away. I've sent these guys. And then... Uh, Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? So why are you guys here? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man or a righteous man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house. 
and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. So just a little picture here. He says, hey, Cornelius sent us for you. You're supposed to have a message for Cornelius. That's why we're here. And Peter said, come on in. That right there is a major transformation for Peter. Peter would not welcome Gentiles without a clear indication from God. It would have been in his mind, in his heart, the most, I don't want to use the word prejudice, but it was a very strong prejudice in saying, I'm not letting these dirty Gentiles into my home. They're going to make my place unclean. But God has given him this vision and says, eat. If I've called, if I've called something clean, don't say it's unclean. And then so Peter, God's working in his heart, you can see. Peter says, come on in, you guys. Um, then he invited them in and lodged them, so they stayed the night there. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So then we're going to find out in chapter 11, but there are six guys that go along with Peter. So Peter rounds up six Jewish buddies and says, okay, let's head out. Let's go meet this Cornelius guy. And the following day, they entered Caesarea, this Roman town. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he's He's already trusting that God's going to send somebody. He called together. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of embarrassing going, hey, guys, everybody head over to my house. God's going to send someone with a message for us. And then you're like, cricket, cricket, cricket. And you're like, you'll probably be here any minute. <laughs> no, he knew that God was going to, to do that. So Cornelius, with trusting God, gathered up his friends. And when Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Uh-oh. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with them, he went in, found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep good company or go with you to another, or go to one of another nation? So basically, I mean, this is kind of like a... Uh, in modern terms, this would be not the way you want to be coming into someone's house. Like, hey, I usually wouldn't come into a pig pen of disgusting people like this, but God sent me here, is kind of what he's saying. He says, uh, I, he says uh, you know, it's unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company or go with one of another, but God showed me that I should not call any man common <clears throat> or unclean. Therefore... <clears throat> I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, what, for what reason have you sent for me? <clears throat> so he says, I told you this is quite a passage, isn't it? So you, stick with me. You, you guys are with me, right? And so he's, he says, hey, why did you guys send me? And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Therefore, to Joppa, send therefore to Joppa, call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you have done well to come. 
Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded to you by God. So, if you're kind of going, I'm getting lost in the details here. Cornelius has a vision. He says, go get Peter. This, this man who's outside of the Jewish religion, this uh, Italian soldier, go get Peter. Peter is up there praying. He has this vision kind of simultaneously of going, eat all this stuff. It's not unclean anymore. And then he shows up and says, uh, you know, why are you guys here? He says, well, we're supposed to bring you back to Cornelius to give a message. Peter goes to Cornelius and says, what are we supposed to, what, what do you want? And he says, God told me to have you come over here and to give us a message. You have a message for us, Peter. Like, what, what is it? So here's the message. You guys been waiting to hear the message? All this for here's the message. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Hang on to that because we've been talking about who are the people you think would be the furthest from God's salvation. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jer Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Uh, God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before God. So here's what Peter is saying. Hey, God has made it clear that there's no partiality. And we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. You may probably have heard of this guy, Jesus Christ, is what he's saying. You remember the one who was going around healing people? You remember the ones that they, they hung on a cross? You remember the ones that, 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 that there were rumors of him being raised from the dead? Well, we saw him. We saw him raised from the dead. We were witnesses of that. He said... Uh, uh, but witnesses before chosen by God, even to us who ain't Drake with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead to all the prophets, witnesses that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sins. So Peter's message here is this. You remember the Jesus guy you'd heard so much about? The one who went around healing? The one who was hung on a cross? the one who rose from the dead, well, that one is the judge. And if you believe in him and put your faith in him, you can have forgiveness of sins. That's the message that Peter was brought to Cornelius to give, that through Jesus Christ, there's the forgiveness of sins. Not just any old Jesus out there, not any old Jesus. Uh, you know, as we would know, uh, his name is Joshua. That would be his modern translation of his name. Not just through any Joshua, but through Yeshua, Jesus, the one who was born, healed, miraculous, a man of God, uh, God in the flesh, rose from the dead. That one, if you put your faith in him, you can have forgiveness of sins. That's the, me the message Peter was to bring to Cornelius. And while Peter was still speaking these words, so his sermon gets interrupted here, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, in other words, the Jews, that's just an, another way of saying that, 
and those of the circumcision who believed, so, so remember I said he brought six guys with him, all those six guys, uh, it, they're, they're Jewish believers, they were astonished. They saw the Holy Spirit uh, come upon these men, and as many came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, if you remember back in Acts chapter 2, the Jews there had had this Holy Spirit experience where they spoke in tongues and God was doing these amazing things and there was, they were hearing the word of God in their own language. And God did something miraculous. Well, something similar happens here. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. Whew! That was quite a story, wasn't it? It's a really hard story to break up because if we just do half the story, it kind of doesn't make sense. And we kind of leave it hanging on. So Peter showed up and tune in next week. But really what we see here, God prepares this man Cornelius. God gives Peter a message and tells him, like, hey, go talk to whoever I tell you to go talk to. You can't just give it to your nice little cliquish circle of Jewish friends anymore. So he brings that message, and the message is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And as they're hearing this message, they believe, and believing the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are somehow, some way, uh, demonstratively or it's demonstrated that the Holy Spirit has come upon them some way somehow and through the speaking of tongues someone's these guys are going whoa these dirty dog outsider Gentiles have now received the Holy Spirit just like we did back in Pentecost we thought we were, we thought it was just for us but what even this Roman soldier is now part of this whole thing. And so you can see, as we talk about that message, and we begin to see, what does God do to bring salvation to the least likely candidates? You see how now this starts to make sense while we're talking about. That's how God works. There's these least likely candidates. Well, first of all, God prepares their heart. Right? And I believe he, he began preparing... Cornelius's heart, somehow, he had a desire and he had a hunger for God. It says that he was a God-fearing man, a righteous man. He gave alms. He prayed. And so if you look at all of these things, whoever it is that's seeking or far away from God or the least likely candidate, one of the things God does is God begins to change their heart. And maybe you've seen this happen to somebody. Somebody who's throwing their fist up and, you know, God's dead and cursing God. And, and for them to receive salvation, to be given new life, God begins a work inside their heart. And maybe you've seen that happen. And maybe God's starting to do something in your heart. And it's just like, I'm just curious. I don't know what's going on. I have these questions. God's more, you know, I used to doubt God, but now I'm starting to really wonder if there is a God. Or I used to think God was, but now I'm starting to. Do you get what I'm saying? That is part of the process that God does to bring souls to himself. And it very often is a process. Sometimes it happens really quickly. 
someone has a near death experience or they're on their hospital bed and all of a sudden they never prayed a day in their life. And they're going, God, please, I believe in you. I, and they have this transforming work in their heart and they begin to have a reverence and a respect for God. And I believe, honestly, I believe everybody, everybody is wrestling with the idea of God. Even the person who is the, the most adamant, hateful, atheist, God-cursing person on the earth, I think they wrestle with the idea of God. And I think some of those people, they're wrestling with that idea, and it's easier for them to deal with that conviction by saying, there can't be a God. But I think they wrestle with the idea of God, and they wonder about an idea of God. And so what God does is God begins... And this is part of what God does. God begins to change that person's heart and starts to work in that person's heart and change their perspective. And maybe instead of making them a doubter, begins to make them a seeker. Or instead of them having a hard heart towards God, to begin to at least start to question God. And one of the other things that happens here is with Cornelius, you can see he doesn't have the full story. He's kind of in this process of doing good stuff and doing things for God, but it's a little bit more of a religious thing rather than salvation and rescue. And so they begin to have a hunger for something more than religion. And if you think about this, God does. If somebody has a hunger for him, he will always bring the t truth to those people. And people say that. What if the tribes out in uh, the middle of the Amazon never, ever get to hear about Jesus? Will they go to heaven? I truly believe, and I believe the story of Cornelius is a good example of it, that when people are truly seeking the one true real God, that God will find a way. And I think he would use an angel to show up to a tribe if he needed to, to make sure people knew about this message. Because all through time, there have been people that are religious. And even today, there are people who are religious. And they want to go to church, or they want to do this, or they want to do that. But when God starts working your heart, it becomes this thing like, I don't want to just go through the motions anymore. I need something deeper than just showing up to mass. I need something a little more than just keeping a bunch of rules. And I think that's what was going on with Cornelius. And God begins to stir in his heart and says, there's more than what you're doing. There's a forgiveness of sins for you. And that's what people are after, forgiveness of sins, newness, cleanness, fresh start, new life. And so that's one of the things that God does. Again, just kind of going back. What does God do? He prepares our heart. He prepares their heart. And he does that by giving them a reverence or respect. And maybe you know people that God's doing that for now. And we would call these people maybe seekers, right? That's what the church world calls them like oh there's a lot of seekers out there invite seekers in here it's a good term there are a lot of people out there seeking and, and I think that that's a work that God does in them and praise God it's a beautiful work isn't it if you begin to see that happening even someone kind of hanging around around the fringes question things that's a work of God's doing that work in them even they're questioning and, and, and you're not gonna you know the the last thing you want to do with these people is argue. I mean, how many people have you argued and debated into belief in Jesus Christ? You're like, that's not true. God created the world. Let me prove it to you. You know, you're flipping through your Bible, and they're like, how many people go like, you're right. 
I totally agree. Thanks for arguing me into a submission. I now want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior because of the way that you've convinced me through this heated argument and debate. Beautiful, beautiful. No, there are people seeking, and we need to show them Christ's love. And we need to show them the character of God, not try and win them in an argument. Again, we want to have answers and we want to explain, but the idea is not to argue in this beautiful work that God does in people's hearts. They begin to have a hunger for something more than a religion. Talk about this. So, same question again. What does God do to bring salvation the least likely? He also does this. He prepares us to share the message. He prepared Peter. I wish we all got a vision. Uh, that's not necessarily the way God prepares us to share the message now. He shares with us, we now have written scripture. And one of the ways he prepares us is, I believe, he allows us to learn the message of Jesus Christ. For us to become founded in truth. For us to experience the life of Jesus Christ. And as he prepares us more and more, then we're more equipped to go out and give this news message to others. And I will say this, I feel like there's a new, we're in a new leg of our church's life here and that there's a kind of a new leg of our journey as a church and I believe and this is the way I've uh, been phrasing it to myself and some I've been talking about we'll talk about the leaders but I believe what we are to be doing as as we're <clears throat> as we're gathered we are to be built up so that we can love boldly as we're scattered so to be built up as we're gathered today that you'd be filled up refreshed, re-energized, encouraged, given truth, see what's going on. Why? So we could just become big puffer fish full of all this nice stuff? No, so we could be built up as we're gathered so that we can love boldly as we're scattered because that's what God wants us to do. And as we're filled up, that we would be people that would overflow the good things of God onto others. And so God prepares us to share that message. One of the ways he does that is by allowing us to be filled up here or in fellowship with other believers. <clears throat> God changes our attitude toward others. I told you this is kind of going on in my own life towards this little slice of the pie. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good with all these other people. But the neighbor's two doors down. Woo! Do I want them coming to church? Another church. But that's a, that's a hard-hearted, that's an ugly, ugly heart. God's changing that in me. And you have, you can laugh at me, but you probably have your little batch of people. You're just like, just not Uncle Dan. Man, anybody but Uncle Dan. You don't know what that son of a, son of a gun did to me. Right? But God begins to change our hearts towards others. That's part of how he works. So that the least likely, and he wants to begin to, to, to change our heart towards those least likelies. Something else he does is he gives us a willingness to step outside of our comfort zone. Boy, Peter had to step outside of his comfort zone, didn't he? To hang out with these guys, let them stay at his house. He already had started that work by making them live with a tanner. Tanners were, uh, tanners were known as unclean people. They were not able to be ceremonially clean uh, because of dealing with dead animals all the time. So he was, God's like, I'm going to prep you a little bit. I'm going to have you go live with this tanner, guy who's Jewish but not quite so clean Jewish. Now, next, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you to a Roman soldier. And he pushed him 
out of his, his comfort zone. And so for us, you know, really <clears throat> the idea is that we would begin to step out of our comfort zone. Doesn't mean we get, need to go door to door, but maybe it's beginning to give up a little bit of your time. Maybe it's beginning to express love to somebody and you're not an express love kind of person. Maybe it's to begin to just say, hey, I can give you a drive to your doctor's appointment. But that we would be, <clears throat> sorry, those kind of people. You know what's interesting is, as I was telling you, God had chose Israel. And he said, Israel, I want you to be distinct. I want you to be different. I want you to have different rules concerning all these things. Some of them are food things. I want you to be different. But I want you to be a blessing to all the nations. I want you to live separate but I want you to bless all the nations. Do you, do you see what I'm saying he wanted them to do? And they ended up getting it backwards. You know what their bigger thing was? Be separate, be separate, be separate. We gotta be separate, we gotta be separate. We can't get dirty, we gotta be separate. They left off the whole being a blessing. And they got it backwards and I think sometimes we do too. Be separate, be separate, be separate, be separate. I can't talk, oh please those dirty words they're hurting my ears uh well, but they're rolling around in our head all the while right but god wants us to be people that would be willing to get out of our comfort zone and show love and demonstrate love to those maybe we're not all that comfortable with i'm not saying put yourself in a stupid situation and be foolhard foolheartedly diving into a dangerous situation but i'm saying that i believe that we are supposed to be people they'll be willing to get out of our comfort zone. And I don't think until we're willing to do that and love others, I don't think we're going to be able to share the message the way he wants us to share the message. He had to do this with Peter, too. And there's probably, we all have our own little stretch. For, for some, it may just be able to speak up, getting out of your comfort zone. You're cool with being around these people. You're like, I have no problem being around uh, in these circles. I, I feel more comfortable there. But maybe for you, the comfort zone is being able to speak the truth of Jesus Christ in those circles. But God's wanting to push us out of our comfort zone to bring a message of hope. No one likes being uncomfortable, right? I don't. What does God do to bring salvation in the least likely? Another thing he does is he provides salvation. And the biggest thing is he provides salvation through his son. That's the whole message Peter was preaching. That's the whole reason all this had been set up is so he could get there and give the message of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins to this man. And he says, hey, it's open to all, all people. It's not just the Jews. You remember, he, he, he said that, he's like, I realize now that this message is to be given for everybody. I perceive that God shows no partiality. The message of forgiveness is for everybody. And it's through Jesus Christ. First of all, he provides, what Peter did is provides an understanding of who Christ is. A lot of people out there say Jesus is a good guy, a good teacher, was a prophet. I mean, even some of the, the Muslims would say that. Some would say, uh, you know, he was an influential person. He was all these different ideas. But what Peter preached is that he's the one who has conquered sin and conquered death. He's the one who's raised from the dead. He's Lord. He's not a good teacher. 
He's not a cool icon to live your life shaped by. He's the Lord. He's the one who defeated sin, defeated death, and is now the judge. And, and anything short of that, you know, anything short of that, it's hard for us to really allow people to understand the message of Jesus Christ if we just want to kind of <clears throat> think of him as a cool guy. Sorry, my throat's... And the idea here is there's this binary choice that he gives them. Binary is the idea like it's one or the other. It can't be both, right? You're pregnant or you're not pregnant. I mean, it's like it's a binary choice. <clears throat> and so the idea here is he tells them, he says, he commanded them to preach the people to testify that he, Jesus, was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And so he says, as judge, he has the right to forgive. You're going to either stand in judgment or be forgiven. There's two lines. You either stand in judgment or you receive forgiveness. That's the message. Anybody in their right mind would go, he's the Lord, the one who's the ruler, the one who has defeated sin and death and is going to judge all, I have a chance to be forgiven. I want in the forgiveness line. He says, so what do you need to do? Believe. That's what he says. He didn't say, Cornelius, what you need to do, I want you to start by throwing away your cigarettes. Cornelius, I want you to find, uh, get rid of all your dirty magazines, which that's probably not even a thing anymore, dirty magazines, because of the internet. But you want you to get rid of all your uh, cigarettes. I want you to start going to church every week. I want you to read your Bible like crazy, Cornelius. I want you to pray even more, Cornelius. He doesn't say any of those things. He says the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of sins by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's a good news message. It's for everybody. He didn't go, well, you're a Roman soldier. You're an extra dirty dog. So you know what you need to do? You need to show up to church for like six or seven months first See how you do. We're going to check you out. We'll put you on an improvement plan. No. That's not God's plan. That's not the way God works. God doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. He makes dirty people clean. That's what he does. And it's through belief. And when I say belief, it means trusting or putting your confidence in Jesus Christ. Not confidence in your prayers, not confidence in your good works, not confidence in quitting this habit, not confidence in being a good guy, but confidence in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who conquers sin and death. That's the message of salvation. That's the message of rescue, that you can be cleansed of your sin so that when you stand before him as his judge, he can say, your account was paid. The debt was canceled. Jesus Christ has paid for it. Put your confidence in him, and you can have forgiveness of sins. That's a good news message. And so that's one of the things that has to happen for that is that, you know, God provides salvation through his son. That's uh, the verse there that we were just talking about, about being the judge. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's a good news message. That's a message to share with people. What is God's 
uh, do to bring salvation the least likely? He provides believers with a new identity. So when these Jews that were with Peter saw this, they, they had a whole different opinion about who these men were now. They are now one of us because they had the same symptoms, if you will, of salvation that they had had at Pentecost. All these Jewish believers that were huddled together right after during Pentecost, a Jewish, this Jewish celebration, this time of uh, Jewish celebrating, and they believed in Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came on them. Well, now you have these dirty dog Gentiles over here that put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they have the exact same thing. So now they have a new identity. It's not these goody two-shoe Jews and dirty dog Gentiles. It's the family of God. They have a brand new identity. They're all become one. And I've, uh, I think it's a Bob George book, but there's a book. Uh, he's trying to, to make this point, and I think it's a beautiful point about a new identity. And he's talking about, imagine there's a king who has a land, and he uh, outlaws prostitution. This king in this land outlaws prostitution. And he says, you know, uh, death to anybody who's practicing this prostitution. A prostitute is caught, brought before him, and he says, I forgive you of that. You can go on your way. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It says, you're guilty, but you're... Your file is washed. You're, you're, you're free to go. That's a beautiful picture. But what God does for us is something even more beautiful. It would be like that king saying, yes, you're guilty. I'm not only going to forgive you of that debt, but I'm going to adopt you and make you my daughter. You're, you're now a princess of this kingdom. And that's what God does for us. He gives us not just a washing, but a brand new identity. And he says, you're my child. You're a child of the king. You're a part of my family. You've been given new life. You've been, I'm, I'm seeing you as righteous now, not as a low-down, dirty dog. I'm not just cleansing you, but I'm giving you a newness. And that's what God does, is he provides believers with a new identity. Provides us with his spirit. You know, his spirit talks about in Ephesians 1, is it's like a seal that's set upon us. And it's a permanent seal. It's something we can't, Shake. He gives us that spirit within. Paul says, uh, where the spirit is, there is life. Where there is no spirit, there is no life. Once we have that spirit, we have the life. And then he asks these guys, he's like, hey, where's some water? Let's baptize these guys. And baptism wasn't anything to save them because they had already been saved. They had already been forgiven just by believing. But the baptism was this outward expression of an inward reality. They had been given and made new, and they had basically been like the old person. And if you think of baptism, it's like the old person been dead, buried, and then raised up as a brand new person. That's a picture of immersion baptism. It's an outward expression. We do this baptism thing to, to show something that's true inwardly. And when people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they become new inwardly. And he gives us new life. Baptism is a picture of that. And you've heard me use the expression or the example with the wedding ring, right? This is, my marriage isn't all about this. 
but this expresses some condition between my wife and I. If I lose my wedding ring, am I still married? Yeah, it's about that relationship. This is an outward expression of that reality. Baptism is an expression of the reality. <clears throat> so, a lot here in this chapter, and, and, and I know there was a, a lot to digest, but if you would just, one, grab a hold of the reality that God has opened the door of salvation to everybody. That's his heart. He is a missionary God. He is out chasing down souls that need to be saved. He does that sometimes through a slow process. He does that sometimes through connections or relationships. He does that sometimes through life circumstances. But he is chasing down people for salvation. And you know what? He has that heart even for the people you hate and that I hate. He has that kind of heart that he wants to see those people forgiven, changed, given new life. That's God's heart. And so if we could, you know, if we could uh, begin to adopt God's heart and be aligned with God and go, I want to see people given new life. I want to see people forgiven. I want to enjoy forgiveness myself. And so the message today is, if you haven't enjoyed forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that would be the message. Put your confidence in Christ and nothing else and say, I'm going to receive your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And if you're like, I'm already there, well, then God wants to use us to spread his love to all the outsiders out there, that there wouldn't be outsiders, that we'd all, we'd all be insiders, right? And that there's no low-down, dirty dogs in God's sight. They're all his beautiful creation that he wants to save and give new life to, and that we would be people. So one, I would say, hey, enjoy new life. Let's all work together while you're at home, in your own life, enjoy the new life. Enjoy forgiveness. Be built up. Be encouraged. But also, love boldly when you go out. Be built up, but love boldly when you go out. People need the love of God. And we have that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that the, for the life that's offered through him. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this group of people, God. I, I trust that you brought the people here who needed to hear uh, this message and that this message would benefit. And, uh, Father, I just thank you that they were willing to, to sit through an extra long message and uh, engage with their hearts and minds. And, and I pray that you'd bless them in a special way this week. And I pray that you'd protect their homes, their families, their minds, their hearts. Father, that we would enjoy love, we would enjoy forgiveness, that we did, would enjoy wholeness this week, and that we would be able to share love and wholeness with others. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Have a great week, and yes, I, I know we went a little late. Thank you for being patient, and I didn't see anyone outright nodding off a few <laughs>